Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight... We love it. Or, more accurately, he love it. And we love him. It's John Lovett of Love It or Leave It and Pod Save America. And he's here to commiserate about the fine art of hilariously live podcasting the end of the world. Or, as I call it, the apodcalypse. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> apodcalypse, everybody. But as long as we're spiraling down the drain, let's not be all negative about it. Let's keep it fun. It's time for a sunny round of feel-good feedback from you nobodies as we feature Mailbag Positivity Edition. I'm Adam Felber, this podcast cruise director, carefully scheduling the pre-planned fun time activities so that the karaoke contest on the Aloha deck doesn't disturb the stately progress of the shuffleboard tournament on the Lido deck. And now, please welcome the distractible captain whose last words were, Ensign, my drink is getting warm. How close can you get to that iceberg? It's Paula Poundstone. (laughs) Hey, you guys. Um, You know, speaking of positivity, I just want you to know that I am out there doing my best to try to spread it. But before I tell that story, I want to say thanks to tonight's house band, returning champ Kevin Kelso from Los Angeles, California, on the piano. Thank you, Kevin. Yay, Kevin! I love Kevin. Love Kevin. Um, Paula, what's new? All right, so I do. I try hard to spread positivity and kindness uh, through throughout the land. Um, So, and sometimes I even use what I've learned on the podcast. So, like, if there's a parent who's struggling with a kid, I always like to give the parent like a little. you know, kind of a little head nod that says, like, yeah, boy, been there, got it, don't worry about it, you know, you know what you know what I mean? Yeah. Or maybe I distract the kid for a second just to give the parents a chance to get their breath. I mean, from a distance, I wave or I say, I say hello, or I say, you know, hey, hey, little kid, you all right? Uh, just something. <laughs> and the thing is, when you do that, usually the kid is so shocked um, that they stop whatever, you know, thing they, so, all right, so the other day, there's a, like a kid, like two years old, right, you know, and so I'm walking, and I stop, now I stop, again, a distance away, but nonetheless, the kid's looking at me, and so I do, remember when we had the mime on, and we had a mime on a podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and he explained how to do the window. Um, and, and the, yes. you know, the key to it is that you put your hands up flat, 
but then you leave your hands where they are and that you move your head slightly. And so I do, I do the little bit of mime I learned on the podcast for the kid. And the kid was like, and then I do the mime and the kid was like, (laughs) (laughs) and I, I just had to go like, sorry, sorry, been there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, walk away quickly. Oh, well, you know. Um, but I was trying. That's the important thing is I was trying. I, I guess that's the important thing. I guess there are some people who would look at that and say, you did make that parent's life harder in your attempt to make it easier. On the other hand, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe yes. that parent had a fun story to tell someone later. <laughs> like a, someone who wasn't good at mime at all scared my kid today. Yeah. Or maybe maybe she recognized you, and for her it was a celebrity encounter. Or the the parent could actually have thought I was on the other side of glass. Right. You know, you know one of those panes of glass that just show up. Well, you know, people always seem to be moving those during car chases in big cities. Oh, my gosh. Best one ever was uh, What's Up, Doc? And by the way, if, if Barbara Streisand happens to be listening, if you could give me a call, that would be great. 310 I look, I'm standing by the phones now. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with announcing your number on a podcast? All right, it's time to bring to order our book club. Woo! Oh, oh, boy. Wow. And we are reading a page turner. We are in that we want to turn the page on this book as soon as possible. But I'm almost afraid to say this, but how come I just announced the book club and there was no theme song? Oh, gosh. I have a theme song. <laughs> oh, Adam, what the fuck's the matter with you? Yeah, which you're supposed to do when I say book club, Bonnie. God damn it. Okay. I have a theme song for you guys tonight. Ready? We got a book club. We got a book club. My mama done told me that we got a book club. We got a bookie bookie club. We got a book club tonight. Who's a reader? Who's a reader? Who's a reader? Wow. <laughs> That's did you kind guys of a see what I did there? Did you see what I did there? Yeah. It was a medley. It, it was, was a medley. A medley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. It was more of a mashup than a medley, but I did appreciate it. It was great. Yeah. It was it was sort of an overture. Uh, took a little bit from each. Wow. Yeah. All right. I'm going to call this shit to order. Um, now, for those of you just tuning in for the first time, this is, um, we're 60, we're 75 chapters into Eat, Pray, Love now. We just read chapters 66 through 75 for this week's show. And oh my, at least there's motion. You know, the, it, it, at least they're, she's not still on the ashram. What happened is just to catch you up. She spent a lot of time ruminating in the ashram, and she had a super spiritual experience just because um, other people were there. And apparently she was filled with such glowing light that people had dreams about her. And then she um, went to Bali and pretended she was going to have trouble finding the medicine man she went there to find, and then she found him. There. I said it. Paula, what do you have to say about these chapters? Well, was it within these chapters where she talks about um, creating your own religion? Yeah. Picking and choosing. Yeah. Picking and choosing. Yes. Which I think I may have mentioned uh, 
you know, last week that I know for sure that Christians have been doing that forever. And uh, I imagine that people of every longstanding organized uh, religion do the same just because it's it's comfortable. It's easy. You know, people who forget about the Old Testament because it's gory and then the New Testament enthusiasts. Um, I've just created my own, my own religion, I think. Um, really? Uh, well, first of all, I don't drink the blood of uh, Christ or eat his bones in the form of the wafer. Um, but I love Fritos and Ruffles potato chips. And um, But are they a sacrament or do you just love them? No, I just love them. I, they don't represent anything in particular. See, this isn't sounding much like a religion yet. Oh, it is. It is. Because I can eat them and my, um, my God uh, appreciates it. And so I don't gain weight. But you do um, sometimes, right? No, I don't think so. No, never? No, okay. No, okay. no one has said so. <laughs> and God speaks directly to me. What um, does he or she or it say? I think it's God. Like I got a package uh, the other day that I was uh, trying to open and um, it said uh, lift here. And I think that was from God. There are some who might say that that's a label on a package. No, it's more of a God is a technical writer. I feel my God huh. is a technical writer. Um also, inspector number 46 uh, on my jeans. <laughs> right. You think that's God. God? God leaves me a little note in my new jeans pockets, uh, inspector number 46. and uh, That's a very nice message from God. Anything else we need to know about your religion, Paula? What do you believe happens after death? Oh, in my religion? <laughs> uh, there is no afterlife in the Poundstonian death. Um, you can... This is going to be a tough sell for converts. Well, you can become a really smelly doorstop. That's, <laughs> that's one thing that can happen. I don't see a lot of people joining up on this one. I mean, you, yeah. you, you eat junk food. God sends you messages as a technical writer. And when you're dead, you're dead. You know, all of religion is not, you know, good news. There's no fasting. There's no burning in hell. What are you kidding me? So far, what I've described to you is, is paradise... On Earth. All right. Well, you know what? I'm interested in knowing more. So if you'd leave a colorful pamphlet at my door, I'll get back to you. Happy to. <laughs> Meanwhile, do you have any other impressions of these 10 chapters of Eat, Pray, Love that we read? Um, no. I mean, she meets the, she finds the, the uh, medicine man guy that she was looking for. And she was surprised that he didn't remember her from when they had met like two years earlier. I, you know. Um, but then, like everything, seconds later, that's replaced with a triumph. He, she, he didn't remember her because she's happy now. Well, I kind of think that he just said that to her and that she was so dense that she repeated it. He was like, oh, you're the, when he couldn't remember who she was, he was like, oh, you're the woman from California. She was like, no, I'm the, I'm the writer from New York. And then eventually he went, yes, you, you. And she was so excited. You know, you, I really think it, it would appear that he says the same shit to everyone. It did feel that way. It totally did. Yeah. 
a little bit like the Pope when he came and he said to John Boehner, and Boehner was so excited about it, the former Speaker of the House, can you do do something for me? And Boehner was like, yeah, yeah, just tell me, yeah, yeah. And he said, pray for me. And Boehner wept over it. I mean, he used to weep a lot, but he wept over this. He was so excited. He, he dragged some press guys over, and he wanted to tell them what the Pope had said. And then uh, um, I happened to have been watching television coverage of the Pope being around that day, and he had gone to a school in Harlem, and he says to the students at the school in Harlem, he goes, um, now the Pope has some homework for you, and the kids were so excited, and he goes, uh, and here it is, pray for me. It, well, it turns out that's just what the Pope says. That's his catchphrase. Yeah. And it turned out it was like Jimmy Walker going like, dynamite. It's just the thing that the Pope says. So, uh, yeah. That's amazing. Um, I think she fell for the medicine man's shtick. I got the same feeling. And you you know what really struck me is we have just trudged through something like 40 chapters in India where she triumphantly gets over her own sense of self and has the bestest meditation that anybody ever has and is the best in the world at being over her ego. And literally one chapter later, she falls apart because a medicine man didn't recognize her. Okay, but wait. The, the, the steps forward that she had made only exhibit themselves in India. When she crosses the the border, (laughs) she's hard back at it. I want to say one more thing about her pursuit of nirvana. I was reading those last few chapters in India, and it struck me that what she imagines, a state of Zen all-knowingness, sounds suspiciously like what you might get after a long session with a vibrator. Mm. Uh, like here's a quote this is why we chose to be born this is why all the suffering and pain is is worthwhile just for the chance to experience this infinite love and once you have found this divinity within can you hold it because if you can bliss yeah yeah well you know god made vibrators so (laughs) (laughs) or he certainly wrote the instructions for them so um because because God is a technical writer. You you know, now uh, I'm starting, I'm thinking about maybe converting to Poundstonianism. That that was wise, Paula Poundstone. All right, let's, yeah, let's move yeah. on to, um, to uh, you know what? We always go to Sherman Oaks first. I'm feeling like we're leaving Bonnie Burns you do. out. <laughs> let's go to Bonnie Burns and the CV Valley. Bonnie, what did you think about these chapters? Well, here's what I came to the realization today, which is the thing I enjoy most about this book is that, writing my theme song. That's the most rewarding part. <laughs> <for me. laughs> but this is a problem for me. When I read something that has people's opinions, it's got to be somebody I have interest in. I'm interested to know what Einstein thought. I'm interested to know what the guy who started Starbucks thought. I want to learn the something. The guy who started that- Starbucks? <laughs> But I mean, no, but Jesus. from a business standpoint, because they haven't something. done enough harm in the world. I know what, what? Einstein thought. Um, he thought you should read Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like people that have accomplished something, they I'm curious, like what happened to them? They had an interesting life. And I think here's the other thing. She has become arrogant because of the experiences she's had. And now she thinks she's better. It's like the Oprah thing. Like she's more evolved. 
than like yeah. somebody who hasn't had these experiences, which is somebody who's not evolved at all. I, I just can't believe we're going to let her off from these chapters without talking about her her running out into the into the park at night to hug trees in India. Oh my and, God! Yeah. That, I was going to talk <laughs> about that. And her choice to publish those two poems in in her book as well. Are we going to let her off at that, or Tony? Are you going to take her to task? She she left the poems under the rug, didn't she? Yes. So she went running off into the night to hug trees, and then before she left, she took a poem that she wrote when she got into the ashram, and one that she wrote on her way out. And put them under the, the prayer rug or whatever, right in front of the thingamajig. Yeah, when the carpet cleaners came in, they were. <laughs> oh, I think somebody. You must have had some woman who's really into herself here. She really, she left you these palms. Um, Tony, what were you about to say about the um about her hugging the trees? I was just shocked that she was out there making out with trees. She didn't only hug them; she was kissing them. No, I mean, yeah, like, that's one thing, like, it just was a little bit like, come on, really? You're making out with trees now? That's all. Well, keep in mind, the the guy from Texas who, call, who called her groceries, he had left already um, because if he had still been there, uh, he would have called her lichen lips. Tony, do you have any other observations about the chapters you just endured? Um, I mean, this book did make me want to go to Bali. That's it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't read all of the chapters this week either. Just to be just to be transparent. Yes. It's a very busy week. <laughs> oh. But I'm excited. I remember loving the Bali chapters the most. Also, we're going to get to the love part. Also, oh, there will be sex. Perhaps. Okay, no spoilers, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you didn't give it away, Tony. Um, I, I do, I, I do want to leave us with one thing. I want to read a little bit of this poem because you know when you oh, when you read boy. about Elizabeth Gilbert, she's been accused of something called privlet, which is literature based in in privilege, white privilege, imperialist privilege, the privilege of somebody with money. And you know, I've been trying to excuse her for this. I mean, a little bit because a person wants to travel and discover themselves. Fine with me, but remember that guru the who was the guru for her guru she sees yeah. a picture of him and she believes that he's kind of talking to her it was like swami g or something prince yeah. ugly face prince ugly face anyway th- i think that might be wrong bonnie as far as the name is concerned my, my point is is that when when she fantasizes in the poem she wrote about about coming across him and and what it was like it does sound a little bit like she's really uh, she's making him sound can i just read this Please. My path was beaten unconscious before me by a small brown man I never got to see who chased God through India, shin deep in mud, barefoot and famined, malarial blood, sleeping in doorways, under bridges, a hobo, which is short for homeward bound, you know. And now he chases me saying, got it yet, Liz? What homeward means? What bound really is? Besides the Dr. Seuss cadence she's trying to affect there, I have to question... She's talking about a guru who eventually traveled the world and had his own ashram and spoke at places, but she needs him to be shin-deep in mud, barefoot, small brown man. Am I wrong in thinking that that's a little bit patronizing? No, you're not wrong. You didn't get to the part about thing one and thing two. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then I heard a door and in with a slam came thing one and thing two into my ashram. (laughs) (laughs) They jumped up and down and had a quick fight and then they all moved into shining blue light. All right, let's... um, Wow, it's very good. I was I, I wrote it for a Dr. Seuss-themed television show once. Anyway, here we go. I'm calling the book club to a close. We're going to do the next 10 chapters next week. May God have mercy on our souls. All right. And with that, hey, uh, uh, Our Lady of Paula, do you have any um, vocabulary word for us this week? I do have a vocabulary word, Adam. It's perspicacious. It's an adjective that means having a ready insight into and understanding of things. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. My perspicacious dogs get excited when I put my sneakers on because they might be going for a walk. It might be helpful if I use it in a family setting. That shirt is so wrinkled and it's covered in grease stains. It looks like you slept on top of buttered popcorn in it. That's perspicacious, Mom. Could you pass the mashed potatoes? Here, I'll give you the butter, too. Well, isn't that perspicacious of you? Could the two of you stop speaking pig Latin at the dinner table? It's not pig Latin. It's a word he learned in school today. He didn't have school today. It's say. Now hand me the old say. Perspicacious <laughs> is a great word. Well, I frequently use the word perspicacious myself. Oh, it's Mrs. Culpepper. Well, well yes, it is. Ah, Mrs. Culpepper. Um, I'd like to sing the vocabulary song for you if I could. This week's word is perspicacious. (laughs) It's an adjective that means having a ready insight into an understanding of things. I have a sense a 20-year-old is not an Olympic swimming contender if he's still wearing water wings. Last week's word was flagitious. It's an adjective that means criminal, villainous. Like whoever keeps talking Tony Anita Hull into going on cruises and leaving us. The week before that, the word was ninny hammer. It's a noun that means a fool or simpleton like Adam Felber, who can never remember how Captain Culpepper came to be undone. Going back before that, the word was horripilation. It's a noun that means the erection of hair on the skin due to cold, fear, or excitement. I get them whenever I recall Captain Culpepper. He was such a gent. And not long ago, the word was ineffable. It's an adjective that means too great or extreme to be expressed in words. The beauty of my red sateen dress rivals the most beautiful of birds. (laughs) And not long ago, the word was nadir. It's a noun that means the lowest point in the fortunes of a person or organization, like the loss of Captain Culpepper, because for me, he was the only one. Let's never forget <laughs> Gallimoffrey, which Paula pronounced wrong until nobody James had corrected her. It's a noun that means confused jumble or medley of things. Hodgepodge, who 
hosepodge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think Paula's song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> Mrs. Culpepper. Yeah. Oh, I wish the captain were alive to have heard that performance. I do too, Mrs. Culpepper. I do too. It's too bad he had to go the way he did in the heat of battle. It was the gooder that got him, you ninny hammer. <laughs> I, meant a, I, meant, I meant a battle with Gouda. It was the Gouda. The Gouda that got him. Coming up, Mark Twain said, it usually takes me more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech, which is probably why his podcast was such a snooze. We'll talk speaking and speechifying with John Lovett next on Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Who's Podge? Hodgepodge? Who's Podge? <laughs> Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured, like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i I think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. They're oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. Of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? 
They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing. They cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody and honestly i look fantastic paula you won't be able to keep your hands off me oh i can't wait and don't <laughs> think that if you had to return something don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. they man. cut out the middleman that's quince.com slash nobody and if you're gonna do it anyway use our code Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because oh, when oh my Helix gosh. first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and yeah. she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. <laughs> and your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux, and I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your sleepy time pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. 
That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Senator Susan Collins said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me a third time, it's back on you again, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Thank you, House Band Kevin Kelso. Tickling those ivories. Um, Paula Poundstone, uh, how you doing these days What with all that's going on in our country? Oh, my gosh, it's depressing. And, you know, I watch a lot of news. I read the occasional article as well, but I watch a lot of news. I listen to a lot of political podcasts. It's just, I don't think there's any other way of saying it. It's depressing. It is. I sometimes wonder how they cope. Don't you? I, I do. How do they not just blow their brains out? The people who have to report this stuff and, and read up on it and know, about, uh, you know, I feel like I do it. It's partly for my job. I feel like I'm supposed to be aware of what's going on in the world, but I don't, you know, I don't know how the others do it. I don't. I got to tell you, the last two years in the, in the Bill Maher shop where, where it was the beginning of the Trump times and it was a misery. So I don't know how, they, how they're holding up these days either, but we have somebody here by amazing happenstance, who is an expert no. in that subject. No! Oh, yeah. Not just an expert, but somebody that you and I both listen to, Paula. You're not going to believe who our guest is. Um, Chet Huntley? You know, damn it, Paula. <laughs> I I work so hard on those introductions every week and at the beginning of the show, and you just don't listen. Anyway, John Lovett is a former speechwriter for President Barack Obama. He co-hosts the podcast Pod Save America and hosts Love It or Leave It, which just recently returned to live on Thursdays right here in Hollywood, California. Please welcome John Lovett. Oh, I like him too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I do like to think of myself as a, a gay Jewish Chet Huntley. <laughs> <That's> sort of. <laughs> so it really means the world to me. Yeah. Uh, to even invite this comparison. Yeah. You've, you've checked that box, the gay Jewish Chet Huntley. Um, and you're living, and that's so important. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Very, very important. Easier to book. Uh, much easier to book. I listened to Pod Save America, and then I've listened to um, uh, Love It or Leave It, uh, which both of which are terrific, by the way. But thank you. Isn't it? Isn't it stressful and depressing? What's your process? How do you do it without blowing your brains out? Uh, so. Uh, thank you for listening. First of all, let me say that. Well, it's uh, not just me, and it's not just you. No, that's an important dozens thing. Dozens of people who listen. Dozens, <laughs> d- tens of tens of people at least. Yeah. No, you got tons of listeners. You guys did the so, Greek for God's sakes. So I feel really fortunate that we get to make these shows because I would be stressing about consuming in great amount the news if I didn't have these outlets and I feel very fortunate 
that I've been able to take a lot of my fear and anxiety and hope and other good feelings uh, when I am consuming vast quantities of political coverage and being able to convert it into something I hope is useful for people. Because we, you know, we've been doing these shows now for a couple of years and we started it because we were really dissatisfied news consumers ourselves. We felt like there was a lot of really great news coverage, a lot of great investigative journalism, but the analysis, there was a space for a different kind of conversation that was a little less self-serious, a little bit more honest about what the country was going through. And especially after Trump, that basically, I think a lot of punditry, a lot of analysis, it treats the viewer or the listener like a cynical observer like it's space aliens covering the news for space aliens, trying to understand what's happening uh, in America, like a, like a nature documentary. And we're not uh, uh, observers. We are citizens with agency. We should participate. And the news should, tr- the, 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 the coverage should offer you not just what is broken, but like here are the ways you can be involved, be a part of fixing these problems. Because after Trump was elected, we got so many questions from people like, what do we do now, right? This is a calamity. This is a crisis. Uh, how do I stay in this fight? And we didn't feel like we had the answers. We didn't think anybody had all the answers, but we wanted to find a place where we could build a community and get people together to think through what, what was going on in the country, think through ways people could get involved at the local level or at the national level. And so, like, I feel, I look, I, I don't love the news. I think I'm where you are. It can be pretty depressing. It is pretty frustrating. Like right now, as we're recording this, we've got uh, two senators basically holding up the entire Democratic agenda because it's just not their vibe. You know, they're just not feeling it. <laughs> and like, that's like super frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you say to them, OK, let's negotiate. And they're like, no, we don't want to negotiate. We just are just like not feeling it. John, uh, that was a, ter- a, a terrific response, and I don't want to make you feel like you're not unique, um, but that's exactly what Chet Huntley would have said. I should have done it with more of a kind of mid-Atlantic accent, a kind of, a kind of, uh, you know, that sort of old-fashioned yeah, way yeah. that they used to speak on the news, news from the front. That's how CH used to do it. Now, um, <laughs> I've I've been listening to you, by the way, on on Pod Save America for a couple of years, and today, today I took that leap that so many listeners take, um, you know, when they come of age, which is I Googled you, and I I saw pictures of you for the first time. All this time, I thought you guys were like child prodigies. Like I I had no idea that you were mature adults. But then when you do the timeline in your head, like you still had to have been very young when you were uh, worked for Obama. How did you get hired for such a job when you were so young? You know, it's interesting as you ask that question, because, you know, we're both uh, podcast hosts. And I sometimes think to myself, what's the perfect question I could ask to put a guest at ease? And sometimes I think the best thing to, to say is you sound really immature, but you look so old. Yeah, that How is does it. That no, 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 that's the no, Houndstone no, way. No. It's so, I'm going to say something to you so right now. No, Chet, I think, Chet and Huntley, that's fine. Chet Huntley never would have taken that that way. <laughs> right oh, now wow. you've veered off the Chet Huntley, uh, the CH path. Uh, look, here's... <laughs> 
that was it. That's when I that's when I lost that Chet Hubley spirit that I'd been cultivating for so long. You know, look, we were um, I John and Tommy, John Favreau, Tommy Vitor, uh, who I started Crooked Media with. They they were longtime Obama staffers. I worked for uh, Hillary Clinton, and then I worked for President Obama as a speechwriter. That's where I met John and Tommy. I was I was like really young, and in hindsight, quite unqualified and deeply in over my head when I started as a speechwriter. And actually, you know, like we all. We all have that that list of things we said in our 20s that we regret that we keep in like the core of our chest, you know, that like little list of little cringy, embarrassing things we said. And we all have that list. But then you remember that everybody has that list and nobody remembers anybody else's list. I tell myself that. I remember when I started (laughs) as a speechwriter at the White House, I was, I guess, 26 or 27, somewhere like that. And, you know, John Favreau, who is the chief speechwriter, hired me. He was, he's, he's, uh, I think like a, you know, year older, about the same age. And when I first met President Obama, he laughed because he turned to John. And he's like, you found the only speechwriter that makes you look like a grizzled veteran. Because we were these kids, you know, wandering around the White House. Honestly, I'm surprised you were that old because I am looking at your face on my Zoom thing right now. And you mm-hmm. don't look old enough to have been 20. So I my guess now she's is, backtracking. No, now she's my, backtracking. My guess. No, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say this, and I don't care what happens to you or John Favreau. Well, that's, uh, that's another I, way to really put your guests at ease, Paula. We've talked. I about think. That. No, Hello, I think. Welcome. I don't care about what happens to you. Uh-huh. No, I think both of you guys <laughs> had fake IDs. Mm-hmm. I do. Aww. I that honestly that means the world to me. I wish that I had been in a place where anyone would have thought that I needed a fake ID with which I could have procured alcohol for some kind of a social function. I was 21 before I got anywhere near a party. (laughs) But that's sweet of you. Thank you for saying so. By the way, Chet Huntley's list of shit he said in his 20s that he felt embarrassed about, huge. Um, And probably a little racist. Oh. (laughs) So now here's my other question. So you do a monologue on Love mm-hmm. It or Leave It, which, by the way, you're back recording in front of a live audience at the yes. Cine Lounge in Hollywood, just for those who, who would like to uh, get tickets and go. And we've been we just returned. We were doing Zoom shows for two years, but we're finally back. We're doing live shows every Thursday night in L.A. And then we're doing a big show at the Beacon Theater in New York uh, on November 12th. How's that for a plug? Yeah, wow. that's a good that's plug. Good. So subtle. You didn't even feel good. it. It just no, happened. No, yeah. I didn't even. A what? Um, is, <laughs> is, there, is there a relationship between writing a comedy monologue and writing a speech for a president? Oh, yeah. Yes, I think there is. I, well, first of all, you know, when I was a speechwriter, the first, the first um, speech writing I ever did for Hillary Clinton was actually were jokes for her to deliver at a at a roast, uh, I believe it was a, a, a <laughs> might have been a roast of Barbara Walters. Is that possible? But it's uh, possible. and that it's possible, <laughs> it's possible. But um, you know, for President Obama, I did a mix of very serious speeches. I also did a lot of the joke writing, or I helped with a lot of the joke writing that we did for the correspondence dinners every year. Uh, which is at those dinners where the president comes and roasts the press and roasts politicians. Uh, and those were some of the most fun speeches to write. But I do think that, um, you know, I, humor in politics is this really risky thing because 
when a joke by a politician works, it creates this connection with the crowd. It's really valuable, but it's risky because if a joke doesn't work, if a joke falls flat, it has the opposite impact because whatever humor does, it is this kind of like, it's this way of saying, hey, we have some shared context and I'm going to surprise and delight you with the fact that we share some aspect of this culture, some sense of the absurd, whatever it may be. And when a joke bombs, I think the reason it hurts is because it's this like almost primitive way of saying like, we are different. We are not meant to be in communication. We are not the same. And I think that's why I think politicians sometimes are, they both want to be funny, but they're really nervous about jokes. And the joke is the first thing you would cut from a speech because it's just not worth the gamble. Your old boss could really land a joke though, but incredibly, I have to interrupt to ask you something. Um, Famously, at one of those White House correspondence dinners, Obama landed a few jokes on Donald Trump that a lot of people think are created the wound that caused him to run for office. So I guess my question is, John, are you responsible for those jokes? And did you destroy our country? And in some ways, is this podcasting (laughs) that you're doing a way of trying to atone for what you've done? Wow, that was hard to hear. Um, <laughs> that was a hard thing to hear and uh no one's put it so bluntly before and i'm just gonna need to take some time to think about it was that at a correspondence dinner or was that at the at the San- what's the one what's the other one um there's the al smith dinner the al there's smith. The, was it this the al was smith? at the white house no, the night of the White House Correspondence Center, which was also the night of the Bin Laden raid, was the night where President Obama did a number of jokes about Trump, and then Seth Meyers did a number of jokes. About yes, Trump. that's right. Did you have anything Gosh. to do with that night? Yeah, no, I mean we worked. That was um, uh, <laughs> we were writing jokes. That was also the week that um they released the birth certificate. So, so. I remember, you know, we had worked on a bunch of different jokes for President Obama to deliver. We were really excited. We had a bunch of stuff about the birth certificate was in the news. And then all of a sudden there was this last minute press conference called. And I remember John and I were like joking, like, imagine if it's the birth certificate and we just have to throw out all these great jokes we already wrote. Uh, and then it was, it was the birth certificate. <laughs> figured the whole speech. We were going right to the last minute. We were coming up with things. And then for whatever reason, the time we were supposed to have with President Obama to go over the material just wasn't, we couldn't get the time we were supposed to have, which we always <laughs> would have. And I remember we were sitting outside the Oval Office waiting to go in and there was a meeting that was going long. And, and you know, in retrospect, it was uh, related to the Bin Laden raid. And uh, <laughs> the word came down like, sorry, it's just going to be a little bit longer. And we were like, um, hello, uh, this is important. We have the jokes for the speech. The speech is tonight. There's nothing. I don't understand. I don't know who's running this place, but uh, we need this time. And later, John Favreau and David Axrod and I, we went in uh, to meet with the president and we went over the speech. And there was a reference. There was a joke that had referenced bin Laden and he changed it to Hosni Mubarak. And it made it a slightly worse joke, but it's like... Well, you got the electoral votes and that's fine. You're in charge and you liked all the other stuff. So we felt good about it. And then later when we found out why we had not been able to get time and why he had changed the joke, it really felt like we were like a couple of Seinfelds that had like wandered into a Tom Clancy novel and nobody told us. (laughs) I remember like we were outside, we were outside, 
we were outside the Oval Office and there was like a national security um, like aide out there, like kind of a little bit, um, you know, obviously now we know like kind of feeling the intensity of what was going on behind the scenes. And we were like, let's let, can we tell you some of these great jokes? And we got nothing from this guy. <laughs> and it turns out he was distracted. Yeah, it turns out. Well, if it means anything, my takeaway from that night, you know, I know uh, Bin Laden, blah, 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 Trump, blah, blah, blah. But those are some really high quality jokes. Yeah, it was um, one of the uh, the jokes. I remember it was um, uh, uh, in a previous year, uh, Judd Apatow was on a tour and he had wanted to help with jokes. And and he felt as though I'd like prevented him from like I, he, I was like trying to keep him from writing jokes. We had like he like. He felt I had like cock blocked him from the president. That's to use his word. Those are his words, not my words. And I called him and I was like, hey, we're trying to figure out these Trump jokes. And we ended up going back and forth on the phone for a while. He had this idea for this joke about basically comparing being president to being the apprentice, uh, the host of The Apprentice. It was so funny. It was an incredible joke. And it was um, it was outside of, I think, President Obama's wheelhouse in that it wasn't like a true setup punchline. It was really a story. And we weren't totally sure if it would work. And then we brought it to him in that meeting when we finally got in to see him and he did it. And it was so funny and we were so excited. And then he absolutely crushed it in the room. So blame Apatow is what you're saying. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Did I just hear you shirk responsibility? I think you did. Yeah. You're going to hear, listen, listen, keep your ears honed. I'm going to shirk responsibility several times during this conversation. I think it's open. was really where you wanted to go with that. Explain to me, uh, he couldn't say pricked after he said cock blocked. All right. So I don't, I didn't, I don't remember that about uh, the, it being the same night as that bin Laden raid. Yeah. So he's on stage at the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which Really, in terms of the importance of that event, could pretty much be drop kicked. So he's on stage at that thing while Bin Laden is being uh, stalked. I think that the timing is that it was either I think it was just before, and I there now there's a recounting of this in one of the books about the Obama years, and I don't remember what book this anecdote appeared in, but um, there's a moment when they're meeting in the planning of this raid where they realize it's happening to fall on the night of this operation. And there's this conversation as to whether or not they can skip it. And then people around the table, you know, Secretary of, of State of Defense, uh, and around the table, there's this sense like, well, we can't have, if President Obama skips the correspondence dinner, that's a story. Why did he skip it? We have to kind of go through the motions. He has to go to the correspondence dinner. And famously, uh, and I'm going to curse, famously, uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, in one of the funniest uh, uh, phrases she, I, I believe, has ever used in the history of her time in politics, she just goes, fuck the correspondence dinner. <laughs> 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 Which I love. It's not a significant uh, event. I mean, it's been blown into more than it really is uh, over the years. Well, and not a significant event until the one that you participated in, which apparently launched uh, the Trump presidency. It just destroyed the world. But you know, everybody, um, Plutarch once said, silence at the proper season is wisdom and better than any speech, which sounds great until you find out he said it at a party to his wife. Plutarch was kind of a passive aggressive dick. Anyway, we'll speak more about speaking when we come back.
The Cat of the Week is Shackleton from New York, New York. back with John Lovett. And once again, thank you, house band Kevin Kelso. Paula Poundstone, you had a question for John. We're talking to John Lovett, uh, uh, who's from the podcast Love It or Leave It and also Pod Save America. Um, uh, he's a political expert. So, John, why do we have a system? I am not a historian and I don't know. I don't really understand all the workings of government. Why do we have a system where the majority is under the tyranny of the minority, even when the majority are the office holders by a slim margin? We're, it leads me to wonder if our forefathers were really all that brilliant, because it all feels like learning cribbage from my friend Steve Belozier. Tough hit on him. Yeah. I, I would. <laughs> Out of nowhere. Sorry, uh, Steve. <laughs> but well, here's what I would say. Uh, you know, there are many reasons for the kind of counter-majoritarian aspects of our system uh, to protect the rights of individuals, to protect the uh, prerogatives of slave-owning states uh, at the time of our founding. Uh, but I do think that the fact that there is counter-majoritarian aspects of our system has always been true. And I think sometimes a lot of progressives uh, focus on the fact that the Senate is fundamentally undemocratic rather than the real issue that we have, which is that the Senate is fundamentally undemocratic. And right now, based on the alignment of our parties, that rewards Republicans. We didn't talk that much about how the Senate was anti-democratic when just a little more than 10 years ago, Democrats had 60 seats in the Senate. And so I, I think we should do everything we can to combat gerrymandering, uh, to uh, prevent a minority uh, in this country of Republicans from uh, successfully, well, continuing to successfully stack the courts or prevent Democrats from appointing judges by using their minority powers in the Senate. I think we should do everything we can to make this country more democratic in every way that we can. I think DC uh, should be a state. I think we should give Puerto Rico the opportunity to choose statehood if they wish. Uh, I'll, I'll add a couple more if you want. You, sure. you, you, Guam, you point to him. The state of Guam? I'm just saying I'm open to it. I'm willing to have the conversation. <laughs> all right. Never been, would love to go. Right. Open to it. Open to it. Long Island? But we can I don't know. Long Island. I don't know. I don't know if Long Island would be the state you want if it seceded. You might have a red I'm state worried. up there. Yeah, I'm worried about I'm worried about where those electoral votes are gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> I listen, I listen, I maybe, yeah. I mean, the South Shore, I'm not sure. Love Long Island, proud Long Islander. Yeah. Uh, no, no complaints. Um, but I, I do, I do think that sometimes we get a little stuck assuming that some of these trends are immutable or irreversible. You know, we look across the country and even some of the reddest states in the country in the past couple of years have done things like raise the minimum wage, vote to support unions, legalize marijuana, expanded uh, Medicaid. I mean, this is something that's happening in Idaho. This is something that's happening in 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 Utah. You have uh, Floridians, a state we have been fighting about for a very long time, voting by not 51, 49, but by over 60 percent to uh, re-enfranchise people who've been convicted of crimes. So when I see that, 
that doesn't make me Pollyanna-ish about the nature of identity and the ways that makes people see themselves with Republicans versus Democrats. I'm not saying these things are easy to surmount, but when I see that we are able to strike those policy victories, that makes me, I am more interested in the difference between a person who would never vote for a Democrat, but would vote for progressive policies and what we can do to, to shrink that space. What are the ways in which we can reach those people over time to overcome some of the anti-majoritarian aspects of our system while still fighting gerrymandering, still fighting vote suppression, still doing everything we can to make the courts more fair. But um, anyway, that's how I feel about that. A lot of times, a lot of times those um, outdoor programs help people develop, you know, like outward bound. That's something that we, we, we might con- <laughs> We might consider doing with Floridians. Is no bad ideas in a no bad ideas in a brainstorm ball. <laughs> yeah, just 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 sending them out into the woods with a rope and some flint and mm-hmm. steel. Yeah, and some and some rice. They'll be fine. They'll be fine. <laughs> John, uh, John, you're a, you're a, you're a media mogul now. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so I want to I want to touch on that. I want to touch on that briefly because you you and mm-hmm. your your fellow Obamaites, after you helped pave the way for the Trump presidency, you went and you founded Crooked Media, and that has become yes. quite a a burgeoning concern, hasn't it? I like that you called it a concern. <laughs> it's nice. an area of concern for us, John. It is. No, it is. It's a burgeoning concern. Um, yeah, I mean, we started, so John Favreau, Tommy Vitor, who I mentioned, we all worked together for President Obama. We After Trump won, we had had a podcast in the run-up to the election. We decided that, you know, we really, what we had said throughout the election was that this was a real emergency for this country and we would need everybody to pull together. We meant it. None of us felt like we wanted to go back to our day jobs. And so we decided to start a new podcast and start this company and it's been really gratifying to find that there's a lot of people who felt the same way at us, that they were looking for an outlet for all the, um, you know, as Paula said at the very beginning of this conversation, you know, the news can be depressing. The news can be hard. What do we do with those feelings? What's a way to make them useful to not feel like you're just consuming. And so we started Crooked Media. We started with Pond Save America. Uh, we've launched a bunch of different podcasts. We've, bon- we've, we've brought in a bunch of really incredible and talented hosts. Everything that we do, uh, it, it can run the gamut from, politics, to pop culture, to sports, to history, uh, to the nerdiest Marvel show you can imagine. But everything we try to do, uh, at least uh, in some way, is about entertaining people, informing people, and inspiring them to act in some way. And, you know, we just launched this great show with Jason Rezaian, uh, which tells the story of his time. Uh, it's called 544 Days. It's the story of his time being held in, Ar- in an Iranian uh, prison and the international efforts uh, to free him. Uh, Jason Concepcion, who is an incredibly smart podcast host who talks about everything from sports to 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 the nerdiest of Star Wars uh, um, issues, uh, just launched a show, X-Ray Vision. And so we're trying to build a place where if you can come and uh, uh, be part of this big progressive community. We're going to tell you the truth. And sometimes the news is good and sometimes the news is bad, but we're never going to be cynical, even when we're pretty skeptical. Yeah, that's what, boy, you know what, John, you guys got to be making shitloads of money now. By the way, you got a big laugh out of Kyle, the producer on that one. <laughs> you love that. I, I didn't that's a say- hit in the studio. Thanks a lot, Paula. Kyle, I didn't say they were sharing the wealth, um, but yeah. you know what that means is, that means that if Biden's proposals, you know, if Biden's vision 
gets uh, enacted and the rich people have to pay their fair share, uh, I guess that means you guys are going to have to step up to the plate. Is that correct? You gotta, you're going to have to get a bigger pie server. As a uh, podcast a billionaire, how do you feel about what that? What kind of John? question is that, Paula? <laughs> hey, send me your W two. What is I this? Know. <laughs> I, you guys, you guys make much more money than oh, well, I listen, could listen, ever we dream of. All, listen, we don't all got wait, wait, don't tell me money. All right. Oh, touche. Oh, wait a minute. That's yeah. I huh? haven't even thought about that. I've been burying that <laughs> in the backyard. Um, I've been putting my wait, wait, don't tell me money into a jar for twenty years. And uh, that jar is not full. Um, and by the way, I convert it to coins before I put it in there. So, um, all right, here's something, John. Here's something mm -hmm. very important. I am so sick of hearing that historically the president's party loses in the first off-year election. Historically, the opposition party hasn't been involved in sedition. We are in historically uncharted waters. So, Tell me about your no off years campaign because fuck historically and the off year election. Yes. Well, the other thing too, is it's historically, this is what happens, but there's lots of exceptions and it tends to sound like, you know, no team has ever lost in a dome on a Wednesday. If the game started after five 30, something to keep in mind. <laughs> Wait a minute. Crooked media has a podcast about that. Don't they? Yeah, sure we do. You guys sure are making do. a shitload of money. Go ahead, go ahead. It's not, right. You know what? It's, no. it's so impolite of me. I apologize. I never, yeah. Let the mogul speak. John, that would be you. John, you're the mogul. Go ahead. I heard it. I heard it. And I'm laughing. What's happening is I'm laughing and I'm gathering my fucking thoughts. All right, Paula Poundstone? Are you guys, are you guys? Never in my life have I been treated this way. Have, are, I'm going to tell, I'm going to be telling everybody. All right. Are you guys opening an amusement park? Are you guys opening, um, uh, uh, po yeah. pod? It's, 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 it's Biden world. It's Biden world. Pod it's, save um, the rides. Pod, pod save the it's, teacups. It's Biden world. It gets you where you're going. You're not totally thrilled about it. <laughs> You've been on it end, before. <laughs> it's safe. It's not too scary. It's not that exciting. And it gets you to where you want to go most of the time. Didn't I ride this in Clinton land? Oh, well, let's just get on. Uh, wait, wait, what was the question? Uh, so the question is, tell me about your, your no off years campaign. Oh, my God. Yes. So basically we, you know, uh, no off years. The idea is. We all know that we're going into an incredibly important midterm. It will be important for a host of reasons. It will be important because if we do not have a Democratic pro uh, Congress, it makes it that much harder uh, to pass anything, um, though it's already still pretty fucking hard to pass something. I'll stop cursing. Uh, but the- um, You can curse all you want. I, it's a, I don't know it's what the a, rules are. It's a freeing feeling. You know what? Can you do me a favor, though? I can, mm -hmm. I'm watching you on Zoom, and I can barely see you behind that stack of cash. Can you move that stack of cash just a little Un bit? Unbelievable. <laughs> Un unbelievable. Just, unbelievable. Yeah. Just Paula, I'm happy for Paula you. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy sitting on a golden throne made from 90s HBO special money. Just an absolutely incredible. All the, the interest, the interest you have earned from the heyday. Yeah, that's exactly um, what happened here. 
<laughs> Back so, to well, no off like, years. <laughs> yeah, no off years. So the idea is basically we're heading into this incredibly important midterm elections. Uh, you know, whether or not we can uh, uh, pass anything is on the line, whether or not Joe Biden will be able to appoint judges is on the line. And by the way, as we head into 2024, if we have a Republican Congress and they object to the electors, whether or not we can have a free and fair election is on the line. And so exactly. We know that we're all going to be paying attention. We all know that we're going to, um, you know, uh, uh, be doing all we can as we head into the midterms. But there's a lot of work that can't be done when all of a sudden we're all engaged. We're all paying attention in the final few weeks and months right before the votes are cast. There's work that we need to do now. And so through no off years, uh, people can uh, go to votesaveamerica.com and they can basically support organizing in a few key states, states like uh, uh, Florida, states like um, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and they can uh, put money into the hands of organizers that are registering voters that are going door to door. And so that we can start making those contacts now, not just so that they become registered voters, but so they become people we're in contact to, with. So that as we get closer to the election, we, we know how to reach them. We know what's important to them. We know what messages and policies they care about so that we have a bigger pool of registered, engaged people heading into 2022. So we're trying to get uh, those organizers that are on the ground right now, the resources they need uh, so that they can they can get as many voters on the books before we head into the next election. That sounds that sounds great. I, you know, I in the 2020 election, I did some postcarding and I don't think I was very good at it because my candidate lost. And I realized later I wrote like 200 postcards, but I would write shit like wish you were here. Well, I think so. I think the part of them is that you just kept saying Bonacera and there were pictures of Italy. I don't really understand. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really work. It's confusing to people. Yeah, I might have made a mistake. Bonacera vote Mondale. <laughs> hey, if they couldn't figure it out, we don't want their vote. Right, everybody? That's exactly right. No, it isn't. <laughs> All right. So, you know, when you say because like I watch Rachel Maddow and and I love Rachel Maddow. But one of the things she'll say is she'll say, like, OK, we need to be keeping an eye on this. And I think to myself, as I sit in front of a screen watching Rachel Maddow, I think I'm keeping an eye on it. Like, what does that mean? It's not really a call to action. It's it's telling me that by obsessing over it, watching Rachel Maddow, and again, Rachel Maddow is fantastic, um, yes. but it's telling me that that's somehow enough. So what I like, and I, you know, God knows what kind of a cut you guys take from this, but uh, what I like is that there is a, a place to, um, you know, to to like a, a one stop shop where you can get that early intervention, that those early connections that you're talking about with the voters. And I'm only kidding. I know you don't take a cut. We don't actually, just so people know, like we direct all the resources directly to people. You know, when you say the thing about keeping an eye on something, it really reminds me of, um, have you ever been like, you know, in bed with a with your partner and as you're falling asleep, uh, your partner turns to you and says like, don't forget, we need laundry detergent. And it's like, and now it's like, why are you outsourcing that to me? You don't forget it. You keep an eye on it. I, I now I have to remember this. I'm not writing this down. What, why, what's happening? But, the, but I take your point is what I mean. I take your point, Paula. I agree. And I do think like, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of noise. And with, if you want to find a way to like be involved in a way that, you know, is helpful and targeted and that will make a difference. That is what we try to do with Vote Save America. We try to make sure we're not wasting your money and we're not wasting your time when we ask you to volunteer. I, you know what? I trust you. I, I don't know Thank why you. I trust you, but I do. Um, and one of the things, because I really have been a, a, a Pod Save America uh, a, a listener for a long time, um, 
And one of the things that I have fantasized about doing um, is uh, challenging uh, your podcast people to a basketball game against our podcast people. And I just consider yourself slapped with a glove. I would wow. really like to. Wow. Do you think you can make that happen, John? I mean, do I think I can uh, make myself play basketball? Honestly, I'm not sure. Well, keep in mind that we, you know, we don't really, you know, play it's basketball. me, it's me and, and Bonnie Burns and Adam Felber and Tony Anita Hall. I mean, it's not the dream team that we have over here. <laughs> I think your only hope is if you all really do your best to guard Tommy and John. And then you don't worry about me so much because I probably can't physically reach the rim with the basketball, even oh. if I have it. You'll probably be in good shape if you really kind of, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it there? Uh, it's a zone defense. Yeah. What's a yeah, zone defense? Well, no, zone defense is you're, where you stand on a certain part of the court. So that's not where you're, you're thinking man to man. Double I'm thinking team. man to man. I'm yeah. thinking double teaming. Yeah. Are we still yeah. talking about basketball? I don't know. Yeah, yeah we, are. we are. No, we're talking about the laundry it detergent. turned there for a no. minute. So here's the thing. I think that that I think that John Lovett is like the secret weapon of the Pod Save America basketball team, and he is just talking shit right now, saying that yeah. like, oh yeah, don't pay any attention to me, and then it's just going to be score, score, score. And the other thing uh, that we 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 really wanted you guys to join our book club, and we were hoping. Oh. That you would yeah. have reached out to us by now. We started mm -hmm. with Moby. It's the nobody listens to Paula Poundstone uh, book club. It's uh, early on in each episode of, of our podcast, and we started with Moby Dick, and and now our second book is Eat, Pray, Love. I'm sure you guys would love it. I think it's am amazing to start with Moby Dick. I think that's really cool. I think it's really. I think it's really cool to dare your listeners to give up. Um, oh, they did. Did you at least? <laughs> I don't think they all did. I think so. Anyone... <laughs> now, can I ask you a question about Moby Dick? Yeah. Which is, and, and this is a personal question. All right. Yeah. And so I apologize if this is too intimate. Do you skip the whaling chapters? Because I skip the whaling chapters. Uh, no, I listened to it. Um, I, 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 and uh, it was unabridged, but I did, I, I did use the audiobook. And uh, no, I listened to the chapters about. It, it, I have I, to I, say, I skimmed. I skimmed the whaling chapters, the ones that just get into like how the hooks are shaped and the, oh, with yeah. the way they make the wood tied I to the didn't rope. Read, I didn't read it. Yeah. Couldn't stand it. See, people skip See, the whaling chapters. See, as it chapters. turns out, look now they're telling me. I'll tell you something. I had a theory. <laughs> I had a theory about the book that Melville's dad was his editor, uh, and that he just felt that everything that Herman did was fantastic. Because I did think they could have maybe trimmed a bit on the old description oh, of the whales. Oh, yeah. Listen, uh, listen. Yeah, it's 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 rough. It's rough. I'll say one more thing about about Moby Dick, which is if you ever want to give yourself a treat, uh, Burt Reynolds uh, did a did a um, recording of Moby Dick. He did a uh, he did an audio version of Moby Dick. Me. Burt Reynolds did an audio version of Moby Dick. And he starts with such a uh, thick and quite terrible sailor's accent, like a pirate. <laughs> like a oh, call wow. me Ishmael. So Some he years says, ago, call, never call, mind. Me, <laughs> call me Ishmael. But of course, <laughs> but of course, because Burt Reynolds had, this was not something he had set out to do. And it's clear he had no passion for it. 
the accent just goes away <laughs> through most of the chapters, then comes back hard at the start of the next chapter. And if you ever want to treat, it'll help you get through the book. And I believe it is a bridge so you won't get the wailing chapters. That's a little tip from me. That's wow. a great tip. Yeah, that that is a wow. Well, we will great. invite you to our next book club, John. That was please do. That was fantastic. But we're gonna now what we're gonna take is all the information you dropped on us, and we're gonna run all of this information <laughs> through the old pounce donator, Paula. The house band has been fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin Kelso on the piano. Could I push my luck and ask you for some background music here while I tell you what the old pounce donator spit out? This is a rare find for our listeners. I'm so glad to be able to play for you a recording from a meeting with John Lovett and President Obama. I think we only have Obama's track um, from back when Lovett worked in the White House as a speechwriter. Oh, uh, well, hey there, little fella. I read over the speech and it's really wonderful. <laughs> You must be some kind of a protege because you seem awfully young to do this kind of work. There, there are a couple of things I'd like to change. I'll hurry because I know your mom will be here to pick you up soon. I think right, right here, uh, John, uh, are you listening? Could you put the transformer down for a minute? I, I think right here, where I'm supposed to indicate Speaker of the House John Boehner, and say neener, 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 uh, could be softened a bit. Also, uh, I don't think we need to mention lollipops when we reference the healthcare bill. You don't need to cry. I'm not angry. This is how you learn. Hey, I was seven myself once. It's really remarkable what you and your little friends have done. Uh, I'll bet you're gonna make a shitload of money someday. Now, I've got a meeting to go to. Can I trust you to remember not to use crayons on the table while you wait for your mother? All right. High five, little buddy. You want to catch Love It or Leave It, uh, you can catch it live on Thursdays in Hollywood or at the Beacon Theater in New York City on November the 12th. Just go to crooked.com slash events for more info on that. And by the way, thank you so much for showing up. John, love it, everybody. John, love it. Oh thank my you. Gosh. This was so wonderful. Thank you very much. This is a blast. I appreciate it. I want you to take back to the nest our basketball challenge and yep. our book club invitation. Okay, I will. And my job application. I mean, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fun fact, there are more than 24 time zones around the world, including Eastern, Pacific, and Hammer. <laughs> We're back. Kevin Kelso, you could tickle those ivories all night as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for your participation. All right, Paula, we have this new contest running, right? We do. You can win a Zoom party with Paula Poundstone, me, and Adam Felber. Adam Felber from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, the comedy podcast, the one you're listening to. We're having a contest because, as I've said before, when we just picked random listeners and offered them a Zoom party on a mutually agreed upon night, they said stuff like, well, why would I want that? I don't listen that often. And the classic, I'm busy that night. So 
Take a guess which one of my 10 cats stands on the refrigerator and cries at me every evening starting at about 6 p.m. And fill out the contest form with your guess at bit.ly slash NLTPP Zoom the number three, three. That's bit.ly slash NLTPP Zoom the number three. Or you can just go to our Facebook page and click on that link. But, Paula, why would we go to the Facebook page when we could do something as easy as just going to bit.ly slash nltppzoom3 on our browser? It rolls right off the tongue. I don't see why people wouldn't remember that. Um, okay, here's how it'll work. The names of the people with the correct guess will be put into a drawing to win a Zoom party with me and Adam and up to 50 of your friends. And by the way, no one has 50 friends, so there's no judging here. Um, here's the list of cats. Harrison, Tonks, Mrs. Fezziwig, Nash... Theo, Severus, Hardy, ShamWow, Wednesday, and Lawson. So have your guess in by October 25th, and there's only one entry per person, or else you could make 10 guesses. And if you're going to pull some shit like that, you'd probably be willing to overturn the will of the people to meet the demands of your own power lust. And there will be no <laughs> special advantages given to John Lovett. Get in line, Lovett. That's right, love it. Get in line. <laughs> Take your bags of cash and move to the back of the line. Um, oh, hold on just a minute. Uh, I, I, I would like a word with Tony Anita Hull, if I may. Uh, Tony Anita Hull, I, I, I know of a wonderful bookstore in Pasadena, California, Roman's Bookstore, to whom I pledge to give dollars worth of free advertising if you can tell me the meaning of the word pugnacious without dishonoring yourself by Googling it. In fact, I'm sure that Roman's bookstore in Pasadena would not even want this dollar's worth of free advertising if it was obtained in such an odious manner. All right. Well, Ms. Culpepper, I'll officiate this. Tony, I need a hull. Ms. Culpepper has appeared to challenge you to not Google, but just define pugnacious for her. Can you do it? I, okay, I... I Googled before you said not to Google. Oh, oh. oh for heaven's sakes. And I can't unsee it. It's a calumny. That's what it is. It's a calumny. I wanted to be honest. I'm so sorry. I feel really guilty. I appreciate your honesty about the fact that you blatantly cheated. Uh, uh, I, I, I can guarantee you, Tony, that I would never encourage you to Google. Uh, for you, it's a disease. It's not just a... It's not just a service, a technology service. It's an illness. It's a mental illness with the Googling. All right, go ahead and tell us the meaning. Eager or quick to argue, quarrel, or fight. Well, isn't that remarkable the way you had that in your mind? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. It was worth a try, Mrs. Culpepper. Uh, she can't be stopped from the Googling. All right, anyways, uh, thank you, Tony Anita Hull. <laughs> And uh, that's Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena. Dollars worth of free advertising right there. <laughs> okay, Mrs. Golf, everybody. Uh, all right, um, Paula, I have some great news and also some bad news. <laughs> um, the great news is that, that, that the interview we just did with, with John Lovett went great, right? Oh, man, he's fantastic. It also went kind of long. He's fantastic. It went what? It went long? It went a little long. <laughs> so uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to... He says um, um a lot. Doesn't he say um a lot? 
That's it what wasn't it is. The ums so much as the content, the really nutritious content that we got. In any event, mm-hmm. whether it was the ums or the content, the bad news is that we are going to have to postpone mailbag positivity edition oh, until next week. Fuck. And we were we were so excited to be positive. Damn it. <laughs> well, we're just gonna have to work on that, I guess, right? I don't think we can be positive at another time. Nobody's. If you have questions or comments, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com or at an incredibly complicated URL. Paula, what's going on in your Poundstone product empire this week? Adam, Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, has recently been featured in a prominent publication on successful small businesses. Yeah, it was the Poundstone Industries newsletter. Listeners continue to enjoy the shop at my website, paulapoundstone.com, where they can purchase my social justice rap song, Not My Butterfinger, as well as the Not My Butterfinger ringtone. There's no better time than fall sweater weather to curl up with a good book like the totally unscientific study of the search for human happiness, which is also available in paperback or the audio version on CD at the store at paulapoundstone.com. If you click on the tour page at paulapoundstone.com, you can get tickets to join me in Baltimore at the Crash Hour Auditorium on Thursday, November 4th, in Thousand Oaks, California at Bank of America Performing Arts Center on Friday, November 5th, and in Alexandria, Virginia at the Birchmere on November 19th, 20th, and 21st. All right, everybody, subscribe to this podcast. It's free. You'll get it every week at no charge. If there's a subject or topic you want to know about, tell us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's our show. Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Lay Felber. Special thanks to our guest, John Lovett. Oh, we love us some love. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of people we love, house band Kevin Kelso. Yes. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Nita Hull. Starburns production by Land Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? I actually don't think he said um that much. Oh my god, he says um <laughs> over and over again. Says, um, um, I, yeah, I, I didn't mean, I get, catch that at I all. Get this, you know, he's like, you know, it's funny because uh, he started in the business very, very young, and he's still in many ways a little boy. And I feel like you're overstating has, that. No, I don't think so. And he has uncertainty, <laughs> and when his uncertainty arises, he'll say, um. You can almost feel his little hands reaching up for his mother. Uh, Paula, he's he's, he's well into his 30s and is an incredibly successful podcaster. Guy's making a shitload of money. I mean, successful doesn't begin to explain it. I mean, did you see the car he pulled up in? Yeah, that was was unexpected. Oh, my God. You don't usually see that many windows on a car. Yeah, it was not the Arkansas Chugabug, I can tell you that. No, you, it's rare that you see a car with a second story. Second story and an elevator. Guy doesn't even yeah. guy doesn't even take the <laughs> stairs up to the second story of his house. 
He just he takes the elevator, and the whole time he's in the elevator, he's going, um, um. It's like a, it's a cry for help. It's a it's a yearning for his mother, um, and it's also just a tick. He's got like a tick. I feel like um, you're looking too deeply into this. No, I don't think so. And by the way, um, it's this kind of careful psychological analysis that is going to make nobody listens to Paula Poundstone kick the shit out of Pod Save America in basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's those are the yeah, two most important positions they say on a team: point guard and psychoanalyst. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, all I, I all I have to do is, like, if he's like, if we're playing like man to man and he's on me, I'll just go, John, your mother's calling, and he's going to turn and run, and then I just take the shot. Stop it, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.